So Mary Rose, if you could just kind of give us a picture, um, let us know how were you feeling as you prepared for this trip? Um, well, as the days got really close to the trip, I was a little nervous, but I was really excited and really looking forward to going on it. Okay, and then once you got there, what do you really feel God was teaching you as you were in Honduras? What was he showing you? Um, he taught me to step outside of my comfort zone and to just do the things that were outside of that zone and that sharing the gospel is really important and as we went from school to school sharing the gospel he just he showed me that there's really a great need for it and can you tell um all of them the story that you told me about the couple of girls that you really were able to minister to as you were at one of those schools so yes we were at one of those schools and um after we do the skits and we sing, there's a song they did, um, we would break up into groups and we'd go talk to groups of kids and teenagers and um, we would share the gospel and offer them the chance to accept Christ as their savior. And there's this one group that I did all by myself and some of the kids, um, while I was talking, lost interest and got up and left, but there are these three girls who at the end, um, they just stayed till the end, and they were talking with me and really interested in um, learning more about how they can better their walk with Christ. And I was able to relate with them and um, give them advice, and they and able to pray with them at the end, too. And that was really cool. Great. So now that you're home, what do you feel like God is still speaking to you? How has it changed your life now that you're home? Um, well, it's changed my life because... Um, God has shown me, I believe, that he wants me to be a missionary, and he's really, through this trip, deepened my relationship with him and made it so much better and more personal. And what he's taught me is that I can't just wait till the next mission trip to share the gospel, that now I, in, in between, I need to keep it up. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mary Rose. And it is very fitting that we heard Mary Rose's story this morning because we are starting our series called For Our Global Neighbor. For the past month or so, we've been talking about being for our neighbor, and we've been focusing on being for the people in our communities, the people in our families, the people in our towns, the people that we work with. And we've been talking about how we can love those people sacrificially, how we can forgive them, how we can reach out and minister to those people. And today we're going to start talking about how God's call to be for our neighbor extends beyond just the people in our own towns to really everybody in the world. Because if we are, as Christians are called to be like Christ, we have to model who Jesus was. And the Bible tells us in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, God loves everybody. He loves the whole world. And as people who are called by him and following him, we are called to love the whole world. To be for our global neighbor. To love people that we might never even meet. We are called to be for them. But that can be a little overwhelming. And that can be daunting. Because you turn on the news for all of five minutes and the problems being faced by people in our world are so big what do you do when entire geographical locations are losing power? It's one thing when your house loses power and you light a couple of candles, right? We know how to handle that. 
how, what do we do in response to these natural disasters that are just wiping places out? What do you do about statistics about child poverty and starvation? What do you do about the fact that in the modern-day slave trade, there are more slaves at this point in history than at any other time? Those problems are huge. And being for our global neighbor means walking and wrestling with those injustices and figuring out what is our part in this. And so sometimes we don't even know where to start. Right? We don't know where to start when we're thinking about being for our global neighbor. And all month long, we're going to hear from people who are going to give us some amazing, wonderful ideas as to how we can be for our global neighbor. But today, I want us just to focus on how we start. What is the first thing we need to do so that we can be for our global neighbor? And I want to argue that even though it seems overwhelming, that the first step is very simple. Now, I didn't say easy because simple and easy aren't always the same thing. But I do believe that the first step to being for our global neighbor is simple. See, Mary Rose said something very interesting when she was sharing her story. She talked about how God pulled her out of her comfort zone. And when I met with her as she was preparing to go on this trip, and I asked her, what are you most looking forward to? She said, I'm really excited about being pulled out of my comfort zone. And I kind of chuckled a little bit because it's called a comfort zone for a reason, right? It's comfortable. We like our comfort zones. They're comfortable. We don't want to get out of them, right? And so I thought that was kind of funny. It made me think about um, when I get very comfortable. So right now it's cold outside, right? The temperature is dropping, it's getting colder, and so when I wake up in the morning, my bedroom is cold. It's very cold, but you know where it's not cold? In my bed. My bed's not cold. I sleep with like seven blankets, and that's not an exaggeration. So my bed is very warm. And so when I wake up in the morning, it is comfortable in my bed, and it is not very comfortable in my bedroom. And so I have to try to get out of my comfort zone. But that first step in the morning isn't always very easy. It's simple. I know how to get out of bed, right? That's not very complicated. But it's not exactly easy, right? Because it's uncomfortable. And so taking a step out of our comfort zone is simple, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. Because I believe that the first step to getting out of our comfort zone so that we can be for our global neighbor is that we need to pray that God would give us new eyes so that we can see. The title of this message is Daring to See. And I use the word daring because it's going to take bravery, it's going to take courage, it's going to take willingness and honesty to truly pray and mean it, Lord, I want to see. And that first step, as simple as it sounds, will not always be easy, but it will allow us to begin this journey of stepping outside of our comfort zone so that we can be for our global neighbor. So to unpack what this looks like, we're going to be looking at a section of scripture today. And it's one where there's a miracle taking place. A miracle happens in this section of scripture. But I truly believe that there are two miracles happening in this passage. And so we're going to look at both of them because the second miracle is very important. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Luke. We're going to be in chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. 
The words will be on the screen. This is the New International Version. And so this is the word of the Lord. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So I want to give you a little picture of what is happening here. At this time in history, it was very common for teachers and rabbis to walk along the road from city to city. And as they were walking, they would teach. So that travel time became meaningful. They would keep teaching as they were walking, and crowds would surround them and try to pick up pieces of wisdom as they followed. They would listen intently as the teacher talked and walked at the same time. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's teaching and he's walking. And as he is going to Jericho, he happens to be walking on the same road where there is a blind man begging. And this man hears the commotion of the crowd, and he asks the people near him, well, what's, what's going on? He said, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And now he has heard of Jesus because we know that because of how he responds. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, come here. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He has heard what Jesus can do, and he has faith that this is not just some ordinary carpenter, but that this is a guy who heals and saves and redeems. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, the crowd's not happy about this because he is messing up the status quo. He is messing up the comfort zone. They are supposed to walk and listen as Jesus talks. Walk, listen, walk, listen. And all of a sudden, a blind man is shouting. And so they tell him to be quiet because he is interrupting their comfort zone. Don't you know how this works? We walk, we listen. We walk, we listen. Why are you shouting? That's not how this goes. And so they tell him to be quiet. But the blind man knows he needs Jesus. He knows this is not just an ordinary guy. And so he shouts out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, the word there, the Greek word used in that verse for shout is actually translated scream. It means to scream. He has reached this point of desperation where he just knows that he needs Jesus. And he screams out, son of David, have mercy on me. And what is so beautiful about this passage is that Jesus doesn't care about the comfort zone either. Jesus doesn't care about the status quo. So Jesus stops. He stops walking. He stops talking. He's supposed to just keep going, but he stops. And then he messes everything up a little bit more, and he says, bring the man to me. So now he's pushing the crowd even farther outside of their comfort zone because he wants them to go talk to this blind man, to touch 
the blind man and to lead him to Jesus. And then the blind man gets there and Jesus looks at him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if I'm in the crowd and I'm watching this scene unfold, I'm thinking to myself, um, Jesus, the man's blind. Pretty sure he wants to see. It's just a thought. He's begging. Probably wants some money too. So if you can make that happen, I don't, why are we asking him what he wants? Because the people in the crowd see a problem. But Jesus saw a person. Jesus saw a person with dignity and worth because this individual was created in his own image. And so he sees this person as a person with dreams and hopes and desires, not as a problem to be fixed or to be solved. And so he gives this man his dignity back when he looks at him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the man with great faith says, Lord, I want to see And immediately this man's sight is restored and he can see. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And he doesn't just say your faith has healed you, which would make sense in this context, right? He says your faith has saved you. Because though Jesus had stopped walking and talking, he had not stopped teaching. Because in this moment he teaches the people that his salvation that he is bringing The salvation that Jesus brings is holistic. Jesus cares about the whole person. His salvation touches every area of the human life. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for it so that we can have life and life to the full. And so he shows the crowd, Jesus shows the crowd that when you are for your neighbor, you care about their physical needs. You care about their economic needs. You care about their spiritual needs. You care about their emotional needs because Jesus cares about all of those areas. And Jesus saves all of those areas. And Jesus heals all of those areas. And so you have to walk into all of those places so that the redemption and healing and restoration power of Jesus can touch all of those. Because Jesus brings a holistic salvation. And that is the miracle that we all see when we look at this. A blind man has sight now. There is more that is happening. That last verse, that last verse is so key, it shows us a second miracle. It says, and when all the people saw it, they also praised God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So suddenly, this crowd of people who had just told that blind man to shut up. Stop talking. You're a problem. You just need to, mm. Now they're praising God. Because when Jesus gave the blind man new eyes, he gave everybody in the crowd new eyes. Because he saw a person. And he invited the people who were with him to see a person. He gave them new eyes, and now the people are praising God because of what Jesus had just done. He brought salvation to this man, and they saw this person as somebody deeply loved by Jesus. And so as we start this journey of being for our global neighbor, we have to take that simple step out of our comfort zones and pray that God would give us 
new eyes. We have to pray with the blind man, Lord, I want to see. And here's what these new eyes are going to do. The first thing is when we have God's eyes, we see people, not interruptions. When we have God's eyes, we see people, not interruptions. I was convicted as I was working on this message because do you know how easy it is to turn on the news and just see news stories and not people? How easy it is to hear about destruction happening in faraway places that seem so far removed from day-to-day life and not realize that those are people dearly loved by Jesus. We think that they're more like interruptions or problems to be fixed. But they are people. That Jesus' salvation that touches every area of life is so desperate to get to. And we are called to be for them in physical, financial, and spiritual ways as much as God allows us to be. But it can be so easy to get caught up in our to-do lists that are never-ending that those people become interruptions. But when you start praying for God's eyes, you will start to see people instead of interruptions. Second thing is that these eyes are going to be eyes that see past our comfort zones so that we can step out in faith. When we have God's eyes, we're going to see outside of our comfort zones. And here's what this means. It means we're going to see uncomfortable things. We're going to see uncomfortable things, things that aren't going to sit so well sometimes, things that are going to make our hearts break, things that are going to make our stomachs churn because suddenly we're going to realize that that child starving is a person, not a a statistic, and it's going to be uncomfortable. What really gripped me about this passage was that I kept reading into chapter 19, And so this section that we just read is at the very end of 18, and Jesus is approaching Jericho, and we're told that when the blind man receives his sight, he follows Jesus. And then it says, Jesus entered Jericho. So we can assume that the blind man is following Jesus now that he can see, and he follows him into Jericho. And what is the first thing that Jesus does when he gets into Jericho? He sees Zacchaeus, a rich tax collector who has made his money ripping off people like the blind man. And the first thing that this blind man sees with his new eyes is Jesus offering grace and love to the man who probably ripped him off a thousand times. And that's uncomfortable because God's grace extends to all people. God's love extends to all people, even the people who hurt us sometimes. And sometimes when we see those people receive God's grace, it hurts because we're human. And so this is what the blind man is seeing with his new eyes. Then he keeps watching. And Zacchaeus surrenders his life to Jesus. And it is this beautiful moment of Zacchaeus becoming the man God created him to be. And he gives all of his money back to the people he ripped off. And he turns his life completely around and there is rejoicing because of this. And if the blind man had never asked to see, he wouldn't have seen Jesus extending love to Zacchaeus. So he would have missed that uncomfortable sight. But he also never would have seen Zacchaeus coming to know Jesus and experiencing that restoration and that healing. 
Because when we pray for new eyes, yes, we see uncomfortable things, but we also see God's salvation at play. We see broken communities being made whole. We see broken families being made whole. We see healing for people. We see the way the church can start to care for orphans and widows and start to just be who God created them to be. And we get to see that when we have God's eyes. But we have to pray, Lord, I want to see. And we have to mean it, no matter what that means. If that means seeing somebody hurting and being called to enter into that hurt, Lord, I want to see. If that means seeing somebody who has hurt me come to know you, Lord, I want to see. If that means seeing children in poverty and really starting to understand what that means and being called to make a difference in that, Lord, I want to see no matter how uncomfortable it makes me, I want to see because I know that you are working to make all things new and that is what I want to see. And so as we seek to be for our global neighbor, We have to take that simple, though not always easy, first step of praying that prayer and meaning it. Lord, I want to see. We're going to go through this series of being for our global neighbor, and you're going to hear from people who are going to give you ways that you can be for your global neighbor. But to respond to that, you have to be willing to pray, Lord, I want to see, and you have to then act on what he shows you. And it might be filling a shoebox for a child. It might be buying a plane ticket. It might be sending money to an organization. It might be X number of things God's going to show you. But you have to be willing to see. And so as we go through this series, I want to challenge us as a church family. When you get out of your bed in the morning and you make that first simple step out of the comfort of your bed into the coldness of your room, I want you to take that simple step of simultaneously praying, Lord, I want to see. And then be willing to have your eyes open to what he is trying to show you.